You are Locked On Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? We are back here for another edition of Locked On Tigers. I am your host, Scott Benley. Today is Tuesday, November 2nd, 2000. And 21, thanks for making Lockdown Tigers your first listen every day, free and available on all platforms. All right, we are back for another player breakdown here as we uh, as the World Series, great World Series, continues to roll along. Uh, even though they were down 3-1, I'm still taking the Strohs. That's one of the best lineups of all time. And uh, and yeah, it, it's it's been very, very fun to watch. Uh, but as the World Series continues land in Tigersville land in Tigersville news in Tigers land I don't know what I was trying to say there news in around the Detroit Tigers organization continues to be slow obviously as uh, as we are not allowed to do anything yet so it's all just not not a lot not a lot of news so we continue our player breakdown series today we get into a very highly requested one based on the replies and dms that i got when i I tweeted out that we were going to start this series and kind of left it open-ended of who people wanted to see akil badu a very very popular answer amongst listeners and uh and that is who we will be covering today the rookie sensation the rule five sensation uh from the minnesota twins that made a splash in a very big way in the city of Detroit this year. So let's get into it. Akil Badu. No no more uh no more housekeeping or anything like that. We can kind of just hop right into it. So Akil Badu, he had never played above high single A before this season. And a lot of people, a lot of people, myself included, did not really understand why we were taking an outfielder in the Rule 5 draft. Did not really get it. Especially one that had not played above high single A in uh, in his entire life. And at high single A, his uh, his, his last season in, uh, in, in Minnesota in 2019 in high single A, he had a 214 batting average, a 290 on base percentage, and a 393 slugging percentage, which for those at home is a 683 OPS. A 683 OPS is not very good, uh, especially when it's in high single A. It's not something that jumps off the page. That same season in single A, he had a uh, before he got promoted, he had a 770 OPS. That's not bad. That's solid. It's respectable, but it's not like, oh my goodness, we should call him straight up to the majors good. And then in the rookie league the year before, had a well over a thousand OPS and was hitting the cover off the ball. So, not not someone that uh, when we took him on the Rule Five draft, that I was like, oh my goodness, Akil Badu, this is a fantastic pick. He's gonna he's gonna absolutely come in and, and be a huge impact player and be one of the most important players of the team this year and be one of the biggest stories in all of baseball. Definitely not something that I, I I'm pretty confident in saying that nobody saw coming going into 
this season. Now, he made a ton of adjustments and became that, and I love the man to death. So I'm very, very happy that it worked out. I'm very, very happy that I was wrong. Uh, not something that I was actively like, oh, this is like stupid and, and you know, this is dumb and I'm, I'm extremely against this and why why would this happen? But definitely was not a, a full-on supporter either. Uh, it just didn't really make sense to me. We had some youth and, and some depth in outfield and we seemed that we were just adding to that. We had signed Omar Mazzara. It was weird. So, Nomar didn't even make it through the season. And Akil Badu ended up being one of the biggest stories in baseball. Let's look into why. So this season, 2021, Detroit Tigers at 22 years old had a 1.9 F war when looking at fan graphs and a 2.1 B war when looking at baseball reference. So about a two-win season, no matter where you look, for Akil Badu. Fantastic. A Rule 5 pick getting you two wins is an absolute fleece job. It's a steal. It is awesome. Very, very important. Played in 124 games to get those two wins. Uh, was, Was very, very solid with the bat. So what made him so effective? One of the biggest things is, again, everybody knows my fascination with walks, is the walk percentage. A 9.8 walk percentage, just under that 10% threshold. Uh, in, in most people's eyes, I would say if you have a 10% or higher, you are like good at drawing walks. I think that's pretty fair to say. If, if you have a, a 10% plus walk percentage, you're viewed at as a, as a pretty, solid, um, pretty solid walk drawer, I guess we will word it. Uh, so 9.8 percentage. Beautiful. Absolutely. Uh, and again, the, the crazy thing is at the beginning of the season, it was not even close to that high. Early on, it was nowhere even remotely close to being that high, but he was hitting for a very high batting average. And then like, like okay, so, so April, he had a 242 on base percentage in April with an 814 OPS. He didn't actually didn't even have a high batting average. He batted 222 in April. But he had a 571 slugging percentage because he was hitting homers and, and, and doubles and act, he had like three triples that month too. He, he was hit, everything was an extra base hit. He had 14 hits in April. Four of them were doubles, four of them were homers, three of them were triples. That's 11 of his 14 hits were extra base hits. Unreal. So because of his 571 slugging percentage, he had an 814 OPS, even though he was drawing no walks. He drew two walks. At, at, on May 1st, he had two drawn walks on the season in 20 games played. So he, he was not drawing walks at all. Then in May, we had that Oakland series where he was terrible. He struck out almost every single at-bat the entire series. Not great. But about halfway through the month, that was relatively early in the month of May, if I remember correctly, and he made adjustments and came out on the other side and was walking like crazy. He then ended, in the month of May alone, 14 games played, 14 walks. Sorry, 20 games played, 14 games started. 
He had 14 walks. He had a 431 on-base percentage in the month of May for an 850 OPS. That is my fascination with Akil Badu and was my fascination with him very early on is the fact that he was able to make an adjustment as a 22-year-old Rule 5 pick rookie who had not faced anyone higher than high single A. And he came in and went from drawing no walks and just swinging at everything and having some success swinging at everything to being actually really disciplined. Then he would have a 434 OBP in the month of June as well. Really turned the ship around and had a very, very impressive season. And that, that, in my eyes, the walk percentage and that ability to work counts and draw walks and have better discipline is plays a huge factor in that. Because if you look, this is, this is kind of the poster child for why I think walks are so important. The dude in April had a 571 slugging percentage. By far the highest month of his entire season. And had an 814 OPS. In May, he had a 419 slugging percentage, which is solid, but it's not, it, it, that's not, that's not uber fantastic, but it, it, it's respectable, it's solid, but he had a 431 slugging and had an 850 OPS. He had a 35, 36 point higher OPS by raising the on-base percentage, even with taking a huge hit in the slugging department. And then in June, a 434 on base percentage and a 455 slugging would give him his highest month OPS of the season at almost just under 890, had an 889 OPS. So the walks are, are a huge thing for me, and that is that very much is my my biggest fascination and my biggest compliment to Akil Badu. Usually I save the biggest thing for the last segment, but but we're getting it out of the way in the first one for him. The walk percentage is is absolutely incredible. Okay, now that I've drooled over the walk percentage, we'll get into all the other stats. But first, got to tell y'all about BetOnline.ag. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season. More props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop website and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code Locked On to receive your bonus from basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC. Right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, everybody, we are back here for another edition of Locked on Tigers. I'm your host, Scott Bentley. Thanks for making Locked on Tigers your first listen every day, free and available on all platforms. I just realized I said another edition where you've already listened to the first segment. I meant another segment. I meant segment two. But I guess I, I my brain had had other other plans for that sentence. Okay. Akil Badu, the strikeout percentage, 265 percent that is high that is that is that is very high that is not a a low number really that is comfortably over one of every four at bats ending in a strikeout that's high and it fluctuated throughout the season he had a couple stretches where that went down a lot and a couple of stretches where he was even comfortably higher than that now the saving grace 
to me, is the walk percentage. Because his BABIP, for those who aren't familiar with BABIP, batting average of balls put in play. So it's strictly what your batting average would be if only balls that got put into fair territory counted toward your batting average. Okay, so strikeouts, not involved. Walks, obviously, not involved. Hit by pitch, not involved. Uh, Pop-outs that go foul, whatever. Just, I think you get the point. The balls put in play, it's what your batting average is on those balls. He had a 335 BABIP. So, that's also high, which... On first look, you would think, oh, that's high. That's a good thing. The thing about BABIP that is so weird is that it tends to regress back to the norm. It, it doesn't, t- unless you're Tim Anderson, it doesn't tend to be a stat where you maintain a super high BABIP for long periods of time. It tends to be a, oh, I had a lucky luck. I, I hate using the word lucky because, like, I mean, these dudes are grinding their ass off. But I, I had a, a a relatively lucky season in terms of balls that I put into play, and I got on base. League average BABIP is usually around three ten. It fluctuates from year to year, obviously, but it's usually around the the low three hundreds, that three oh five, three ten, three fifteen ish range. I think. Last year, I want to say it was 313, so it's usually around there. He had a 335, which is significantly higher than league average, obviously. So that, uh, you would imagine, would regress a little bit, which means his 259 batting average would take a little bit of a hit. That being said, if he maintains the walk percentage and can cut down the K percentage a little bit, I, I don't care if the BABIP goes down. That, that's going to happen. That's going to happen to just about anybody. Again, unless you're Tim Anderson, you figured out how to just break the rules of baseball somehow. Uh, that That's probably going to go back down. Again, the walk percentage, though, if, if, if he maintains around a 10% walk percentage and, and maintains the extra base ability that he had this year, I think that, it's, that what he did this year is relatively sustainable. And, and even more so something to grow on. I don't think this is the because of how good he was at drawing walks at, at such a, a young age and as he was able to make adjustments midseason, I think we could be looking at someone who who has the ability to continue to get better. And that is the the one thing that uh, I, I am very much holding on to and, and and looking at in my evaluation of him going forward. So even though we had a very high K percentage, um I, I think if he even cuts that down a little, he doesn't even need to be like Tony Gwynn. He doesn't even have to be like like ridiculous or Placido Polanco and just like never strike out. He doesn't even have to be that. He just has to cut it down a few percentage, maintain the 10% walk percentage, and 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 continue the, the slugging. And I, and I think he, he could continue to grow into a really good player. Okay, so... We got all of the, the, the initial stuff out of the way. Like I said, around a two-win season for him. And he got that two-win season playing a few different positions. So let's look at him in the outfield. Because I think that's important to discuss when talking about the future of Akil Badu. Which, again, after this season, I, I think everybody in the fan base is pretty much in agreement. He is part 
to to some extent, I guess the extent could vary from person to person, but I think everyone agrees he's somewhat part of the long-term plans for this team. Left field, played 407 innings, had a plus one defensive run saved, a negative 0.3 UZR, which uh, another stat, UZR 150 is just what their UZR would be, ultimate zone rating, is... In a 150-game sample size, which would be negative 1.3. So, around net zero at UZR and a slight plus one using defensive runs saved. In center field in 513 innings, the most innings he played at any position, he had a negative four defensive runs saved and a negative 2.8 UZR, which in a 150-game sample size is negative five on the nose. Then right field in only 32 innings, he had a plus one defensive run saved and and a zero UZR because he only played 32 innings there. So, total across all three positions for all those math whizzes at home that know what negative four plus one plus one is, that is a negative two defensive run saved and a negative 3.1 ultimate zone rating. So, basically, if you stick him in the corners, you're getting up ever so slightly above average or or plus I should say defender right and if you stick him in center you're going to get a a below a a below average I don't, I don't like using the word average for this because that's not really what that means but you're, you're getting a, a a negative defender in center field not a not a horrible defender by any stretch negative four is not some terrible like you know again I, I used this analogy in the last one a Willie Castro level of terrible defense however it's definitely uh comfortably in the minus as well so i think it's just important to note even though now he had to play center because the the outfield this year had a was a carousel it was a it was a a wild wild just rolling list of names that were thrown out at different positions and and people getting hurt and and needing replacements and call-ups and then getting cut and everything just the outfield was wild this year um so he he I'm not I wasn't against putting him in center again it's not like he he can't play the position or, or he's a he's a massive liability out there but um definitely below uh average and then in in the corners a a slightly plus defender so I think in the future the long-term plans would be for Akil Badu to be stuck in the corners, which works out well because Riley Green is taking massive steps forward at being a uh, a, a center fielder. had a had a very good defensive season in the minors this season, uh, which is funny because on draft night everyone said that he was a minus corner outfielder. Now he's ending up being a plus center fielder because Riley Green's just built like that. He's just different, man. That's the dog. So. I, I think a, a, an outfield plan looking forward of Robbie Grossman, Riley Green in center, Akil Badu, and, and Robbie at the corners is very, very solid. And then when Robbie's contract runs up, if you don't bring him back, then you still have, you, you can move Riley back to the corners and you have a plus defender in Derek Hill. There, there's a lot of things you can do, and, and Akil Badu shouldn't need to log 500 plus innings in center field ever again. He, he shouldn't. And that is and that is good news, I guess, is what I'm trying to portray. So 
Two-win season, solid defensively at the corners. Let's get into some of these situational offensive stats. There's some really telling kind of nitty-gritty stats um, about Akil Badu that definitely we need to go over. I know everybody wants to talk about the righty-lefty splits. We'll definitely get into that. But there's some other stuff that I find very interesting too. And we will get right into that after this. All right, everybody, we are back for our third and final segment of Locked on Tigers, the Akil Badu episode. Man, I'm, I, I'm still getting peppered with uh, with people asking, where the Her- where's the Harold Castro episode? He's going to be part of this. Do not worry. We will do the Harold Castro episode, and it will be titled the Harold Castro episode, and uh, that dude is, is something else. Okay, so let's get into uh, some of the interesting stats I found when researching Akil Badu this season. First off, we'll get the righty-lefty splits just done out of the way, because that's that's the biggest thing for him, right? That is by far the biggest hurdle that he is going to have to overcome if he wants to take another step forward in this league. Against righties, Akil Badu a left-handed batter, obviously. Against righties, he had an 841 OPS and hit all 13 of his home runs on the season off of right-handed pitching. 353 plate appearances, 19 doubles, 6 triples, 13 homers, 44 RBIs, um, 36 walks, 89 strikeouts. He had a 273 batting average, a 346 on base percentage, a 495 slugging for an 841 OPS. That is a fantastic season. Fantastic season. 110 games played against right-handed pitching. Absolutely, a, a, if he could do that and 162 against both sides of the plate, that that's, that's borderline all-star numbers. That is an absolutely fantastic season. Against lefties, appeared in 58 games against left-handed pitchers, 108 plate appearances. He had one double, one triple, zero homers, 11 RBIs, nine walks, 33 strikeouts for a 214 batting average, a 278 on base percentage, and a very, very discouraging 245 slugging percentage, which is a 523 OPS. That is, that 523 OPS is, is very, very bad. That is, if, if, if you're doing a, that's, you're not going to see too many people play 162 games and end a season with 523 OPS. You, you should probably not be starting at the major league level with that. So you have fringe all-star numbers against righties and like, you probably shouldn't be a major league baseball player against lefties. That's a, a dramatic difference. That's over 300, 320 almost point different between righties and lefties. So that's the biggest hurdle to overcome for him. That's the biggest thing he's going to have to take a step forward on. Um, he, he worked on it a little bit as the season went on, was put in more situations against lefties. In the beginning of the season, he just straight up wasn't pretty much allowed to hit against lefties uh, in the first half of the season, which is why his numbers in the first half are so much better than his numbers in the second half because they, they actually started giving him some ABs against lefties to try to work on it, which I'm glad they did. In a season where we weren't going to make the playoffs anyway, I, I very much am pro giving our our rookie sensation that is supposed to be part of the now the in the future plans of this team um, 
some ABs in, in situations in which he has struggled in. So I'm very glad they did it. That being said, it is it is a 523 OPS is rough, man. That is a a he very much has to take a uh, a, a step forward and work on the lefties. There's not really too much else to say. Just wanted to get that one out of the way quickly. Home and away, uh, he was pretty much the same. There were some people that that were saying that the only reason that he uh, had so many extra base hits were, was because Comerica has like deep gaps or whatever, and that's. He played almost the exact same amount of games on home versus the road. 63 at home, 61 on the road. Had the exact same amount of doubles. He had five more triples in Comerica, which is absolutely due to Comerica Park. But he had one more homer in two less games on the road than he did at home. So that that's really not a, a correct argument that anyone ever should be making. Uh, almost about the same OPS, 788 OPS at home, 743 on the road. Now I mentioned earlier the first half and second half, right? In his first half, he had an 813 OPS in the second half he had a 715. That's a, that's a pretty big drop off. That's 100 points. Where are we losing those 100 points? Pretty much across the board. The batting average dips from 271 to 246. The on-base percentage would go from 351 to 306, and the slugging would go from 462 to 409. Now, like I said, a lot of that is him just being finally put in situations where he has to face left-handed hitting, which I am very, again, very, very pro that decision. So I really don't mind that at all. On a month-to-month basis, we kind of already touched on it earlier. His OPS from month to month, 814, 850, 889, 756. In August, he had a 480. And then in September, he went back to a 744, which is really solid around just slightly above, actually, uh, league average. That's, that's like a 103 OPS plus if, uh, if that was his OPS for an entire season. So uh, this is awesome to me. The September is awesome to me because he he was he was bad. He was straight up bad in August. He had a 480 OPS. He had a 200 batting average and didn't draw a single walk. And then in September, he makes more adjustments like he did in May, makes more adjustments, buckles down, comes back, has a 263, 355, 389 slugging for a 744 OPS. That is awesome in-season adjustments from a 22-year-old Rule 5 pick that had never even played double-A ball coming into the year. Absolutely fantastic. I, I, I just want to do the month-to-month just to highlight the, the bounce back in September after the really bad August. I think that is so, so unbelievably important. Now, another thing that people love to bring up, and I, this is um, something that, that I find interesting as well, that interesting is such a stupid word. I need to stop saying it. It means nothing. What does interesting mean? Someone's like, oh, hey, uh, so-and-so just got married. You're like, oh, that's interesting. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. It's the least descriptive word. You could just say that after any sentence. And people would be like, oh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm like, okay. That, that doesn't mean good. It doesn't mean bad. It doesn't mean anything. I need to stop saying the word interesting. And let's Let's end... Using the word interesting. that That's my rant of my ADHD brain. Okay. So people love to bring up different offensive production at different defensive positions. People really big on it with Nick Castellanos. 
just it, it's a very comp. Miguel Cabrera is another one for current Tigers roster player that we'll get into when we do his episode. There, there, people love to bring that kind of stuff up. In left field, he had a 691 OPS in 51 games in left. 691 OPS. That's not great. That's an 87 OPS plus if it was across his full season. That's 13% lower than his than, than a league average OPS. 13% is a lot. That's comfortably lower. That's over 10, uh, obviously, that's over 10% lower. That's not good. It's not horrific, but it's not good. In center field, he had an 868 OPS, which is a 140 OPS plus. Comfortably higher. Then in right field, he only played five games. I'm not even going to count that. So you see that, that big difference. Now, again, a lot of that is when he was playing those positions. He played center field a lot in the first half. Started getting a little more left field sprinkled in there to end the season. And most of that huge August slump was also in left field. So take it with a grain of salt, but something that I also found interesting. Now this one is fascinating to me. When you look at his production based on where he hit in the lineup. Okay, if, if he played less than five games at a position one through nine, I'm not even counting it in this. So he only played four games batting second, one third, three batting fourth, three batting fifth, four batting sixth. We're not counting any of those. That's stupid. That's too small of a sample size. Batting seventh in 15 games, he had a 1,047 OPS. That is phenomenal. Anything over 1,000 is like MVP conversation. That, that's unbelievable. Batting 8th in 18 games, he had a 734 OPS. And in 13 games, batting ninth, he had a 933 OPS. So batting from 7th to ninth in the order, he had a, a lot of really, really good production. And yet, he started 64 games batting leadoff. The next highest is when he batted 8th at 18 games. So batting first, he had 64 games and had a 7-11 OPS. Now, the reason that that is weird to me is because leading off a game, he had a 5-33 OPS when he was the leadoff hitter to start, when he was the first batter of a game. 63 plate appearances as the first batter of the game. Had a 213 batting average, a 238 OBP. Drew only two walks all season to start off ball games. And a 295 slugging. A sub 300 slugging is horrible. He only had three extra base hits to lead off games. Again, in, in 63 games played. A 533 OPS as the first batter of a game and yet by by 50 games his most at bats taken were at the leadoff spot now leading off an inning he had a four uh, sorry he had a 743 ops leading off an inning so i guess once you get past the the first at bat of the game you're getting that production back because he still ended with a 711 ops and that's with 63 plate appearances of a 533 OPS mixed into that because obviously he's going to be the first batter of the game for the team anytime 
he is batting first. So if you take out the first at-bat of the game, that, that OPS skyrockets, right? It, it shoots to the moon. It's just a very interesting kind of kind of thing that that I found when when going through his uh, his numbers. The only other thing I want to touch on, we'll end on this, is how good he was with runners on base, with runners in scoring position. That's a hundred plate appearances on the season, seventy three games, a hundred plate appearances, where he came up with runners in scoring position and had a one thousand eighty five OPS and a six fifteen slugging percentage. That is unbelievable. With nobody on, he had a 674 OPS, which is comfortably below league average again. It's just really interesting to see all, all the, the different things that make up Akil Badu. He is absolutely fascinating to me. With two outs and runners in scoring position, he had a 1,289 OPS, and that's in 43 plate appearances. That's not six at-bats. Right, 43 plate appearances, he, he, he came up in that situation in 40 different games. He almost had a 1,300 OPS and slugged 778 and had a 512 on base percentage. He got on base more than half the time when there were two outs and runners in scoring position. There are so many things that that are that are there there are several red flags with Akil Badu and there are a ton of things that should leave the fan base very very encouraged. He is absolutely fascinating and I cannot wait to see how he takes another step forward this upcoming season. I don't know who's going to be tomorrow because I never do. But thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On MLB. Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully, brings you his unique perspective on the major leagues, both past and present. It's freely available on all platforms. All right, guys, thank you for putting up with me. Thanks for rocking with me. Thanks for listening. Um, yeah, Akil Badu, there you go. We'll get into who knows who's next. I certainly don't. Um, Peace and love, going to therapy's dope, and I will catch you all tomorrow. Go Tigers, baby.